This is the Social Distance Podcast and today I'm talking to Colette Cunningham. She's a lecturer in the School of Public Health at University College Cork in Ireland and she has an incredible amount of experience in many different aspects of public health in many, many countries uh, across the world. So many countries I couldn't fit them into this intro. Currently, she directs the Online Master of Public Health course at University College Cork and throughout her work, I'd say it's probably fair to say that she's taken a particular interest in poverty eradication and issues of health inequality. Um, Colette, first of all, thanks very much for joining me. How are things in Cork City? Um, well, today is a beautiful sunny day, um, which is which is um, amazing. Um, but um, things aren't too bad. Um, as you know, we've been fighting the, the COVID-19 uh, um, pandemic like um, a lot of other places. And uh, we're not doing too badly, really, because in Cork, we have um, about 5.4% of the national average um, of cases. So um, that's quite low, really, because, you know, Dublin being the capital are dealing with about almost 50% of the cases. So we've done pretty well in Cork overall. So uh, as we're speaking, it's uh, May the 9th and um, there are 22,541 cases recorded in Ireland, of which uh, 1,421, I believe, have been recorded as fatal. Um, yes. How would you say Ireland has dealt with COVID-19 in from whatever perspective you you want to you want to look at it? Take it. Okay. Take that from so I have been involved. I as you mentioned, I am a lecturer in the School of Public Health. And uh, we closed the university um, around the, the, I think, just before St. Patrick's Day, around the 12th of, of March. And since then, I've been involved in um, in occupational health um, contact tracing. And um, so, what, so did, what does that what does that involve? Yeah. So that is so I coordinate um, an occupational health co- um, contact tracing hub for the whole region of Cork and Kerry, which um, is is quite big, really. So um, what it means is that we are contact tracing any healthcare worker who has been involved with who has been in contact with either a patient um, who is COVID positive or a colleague who is COVID positive or who they themselves are COVID positive. So it means that we um, we contact trace them, we find out if they have any symptoms or not, um, how close the contact was with the, with the person. And, um, and then based on that and based on national guidelines that we have, we actually put them off work for 14 days and, we, and they're monitored, they're actively monitored during those 14 days. If they develop symptoms, if they were asymptomatic and they develop symptoms, then they are brought back through occupational health for swabbing and um, and so forth. And we keep in touch then. It's with the managers um, of the hospitals and the healthcare services. And so it's a very coordinated effort with um, the health service executive, um, occupational health and um, University College Cork. The school, of, you know, I'm I'm from the School of Public Health. How did Ireland begin to tackle this when they saw it coming? Okay, well, I think that um, we were very fortunate in many ways because um, we we had the um, 
we could learn from other countries. For instance, um, we know that Italy was very badly affected and very badly hit by this. And because of that, we, we were able to learn from the, um, I suppose, from the the errors that that they made um they in hindsight they would say that they they should have shut down earlier they should have put measures in place but um they didn't really know nobody knew what we were dealing with you know we thought that this was contained in china but then it started to spread and italy was the first country to be hit by it followed by france and germany so we actually um had the hindsight of those countries to actually learn from them. And I know that at one point, um, you know, we, we, we were able to have conversations with uh, epidemiologists um, in Italy who were able to advise us um, on what we should and should not be doing. Um, we're fortunate in that um, our prime minister, the Taoiseach, um, Dr. Leo Varadkar, he's actually a medical doctor. And he so he was able to understand all that was happening and um you know and and we were able to act quickly and uh, we also have a very good um you know medical director you know dr tony hulan um and um you know these these they really are very um sage and wise um people who can take advice on board and who can act on it um and i think that has been our saving grace in that we have been able to implement um all the measures from a public health perspective that are required um to suppress yeah. um a virus and yeah. it has worked yeah contact tracing is one of those terms that has floated to the surface in the last couple of weeks as you yes. know, we kind of move through the different phases of this can you break that down for me in terms of what it actually means so so you know that one one healthcare worker has been in contact with maybe five different patients. Does that mean you get in touch with those patients and say you've been okay. in contact with someone or like you know what does that mean? Contact tracing is a bit like it's a bit like being an investigator really because what we have to do is we have to find out who the um like for instance if if a nurse has been um, we know we get notified that um, a patient has tested positive on Ward X in such a hospital. OK, uh-huh. and um, based on that, we try and find out then who was working during that time and um, when that patient came in. And before the staff knew the, the patient was positive and before they started wearing um, personal protection equipment, so PPE. So that means that they were exposed, potentially exposed to the virus and to contracting it. So we have to then find out who they, you know, the close contacts were mm-hmm. of the COVID positive person. And um, and we have to contact each one of those. Determine then we what we call categorization. We determine then whether they were a close contact or a casual contact. A close contact is anyone who spent more than 15 minutes in the presence of um, a COVID positive person without protection, okay? So more than 15 minutes and in in a distance of less than two meters. Right. So that means that they were potentially exposed. Now, obviously in healthcare, there are other considerations. You know, if a person was coughing a lot, if they were getting sick, you know, there's a whole lot of other criteria, I suppose, 
But the, the key thing is if if somebody's not wearing um, protection, then they are um, exposed to the contagion and then they can get sick themselves. But equally, they could pass it on to others. So we take them out of the equation. So that's basically what contact tracing does. So it's tracking everybody who has been in touch with a, um, a positive person and making sure that um, the, that they're okay and that they're taken care of. But in a healthcare environment, that's really important to stop the spread of the of the virus. So you're at this point now in Ireland. Um, what's your sense of the landscape of how things have gone since um, since the, the onset of the pandemic and since it was declared a pandemic at the beginning of March? Well, I think we've done very well. Um, from a public health perspective, we've certainly done well. Um, we've managed to suppress um, the, the virus um, as of this week. Um, there's... Um, you might have heard of the, the the term the R rate, and that yes. means the reproductive rate of the contagion. And we've now got that down to zero point five. Um, so that's that's really good news. Um, we have been in lockdown, um, and that and lockdown restrictions are just beginning to ease off this week. Um, and it remains to be seen, um, and they'll increase. There are diff- five different phases over the next few months um, for the release, you know, sort of the easing off of lockdown. But it remains to to be seen if we retain the suppression of the virus or whether it'll actually increase again. So it's it's really, um, you know, there is uncertainty around that, because, and nobody really knows just now. It's just a waiting game. Um, and we probably won't know for another couple of weeks because we won't see the difference for up to two weeks after those um, lockdown um, restrictions have been removed, you know, because it takes, it, you know, the infection and that. So we probably will know more in, in a, at the end of the month or at the beginning of June. We'd have a better idea of whether we can maintain that suppression or not. Um, but we've done pretty well, um, and that has been down to a whole load of measures, but predominantly social distancing and compliance from the public as well. Right. Has the compliance from the public been um, pretty absolute, would you say? Um, I wouldn't use the term absolute. Sorry, no. <laughs> Sorry that was a bad um, choice think- of word by me there. Sorry. Yeah, I think it's been, um, I would say... I, I don't know what the percentage would be, but I maybe. think, but just it's been very comprehensive. I mean, you'll always have people who break the rules, you know. I mean, that's just human nature, I think. And um, you know, I I don't think you, you we can say it was absolute, but certainly, uh, at least ninety percent of the population complied by the rules, you know. And uh, and you can see it. We have it. Um, all our shops, for instance, all our our. Um, Shopping facilities, they all have social distancing uh, measures in place um, and people abide by them. You know, you can see it, you know, and um, so it is working. Um, You know, it it definitely is working um, and fingers crossed it'll continue. Yeah. Do you have a sense of uh, at this point, I know it's hard to say, but do you have a sense of the the impact on um, mental health is that possible from this period yes. of isolation um well we know that um 
yeah for sure the the i mean there's a lot of anxiety um in the general population um i mean i know for myself from doing contact tracing that um sometimes when we ring somebody and we tell them that they're that they're positive um you know there's a lot of anxiety around that depending on their circumstances and who they live with and you know if they live with a vulnerable person then there's anxiety around that yeah um there's a lot of, I mean, like like a lot of places, I mean, unemployment has increased exponentially in Ireland um, because of um, businesses um, having to shut down and lay off staff. So we've gone from an environment where we were practically at full um, employment levels to an increase of 28.2% unemployment um, at, lock, at lockdown level. And yeah. um, now some measures are in place but all of that has increased because you know uh, mental health it has a huge impact on mental health because um you know if you if you have a mortgage to pay and suddenly you're out of work and um you know um you still have your mortgage to pay you still have bills to pay you still have food to put on the table um so there is an increase for sure um on men in mental health um you know deterioration and also um, you know, mental health services are seeing an increase in demand for their services. Yeah. One area of interest in your research is inequalities in healthcare and healthcare outcomes. And I've seen quite a lot of talk about how those become more evident at times like this. Have you seen that in Ireland in in assessing the impact of COVID-19? Okay, so COVID-19, um, I mentioned there that we about the increase in unemployment. But um, but prior to um, COVID-19, we had a problem already with uh, with homelessness. And um, obviously that, you know, deteriorates um, in this kind of an environment. And um, I mean, now measures have been put in place to try and help. But, you know, the reality is, is that people are there is an increase in um, in people accessing food banks. And um, even people who would never have gone for a food bank, um, you know, we're seeing that happen. Um, schools have been closed and we know that there are children who come from disadvantaged areas who would have had um, access um, food and, you know, healthy meals during school time. And so that has to be taken into consideration. Um, the increase in unemployment, I mean, that's going to have um, a direct um, impact on, um, you know, on children, on families, on inequalities um, and health outcomes eventually. Um, and then then we have also, um, you know, our asylum seekers are in what we call direct provision. So they're centres that are set up um where they are they have accommodation and they have food supplied but you know the the direct provisions um they use a lot of um hotels and um old hotel you know hotels that are no longer working as hotels and so that has been highlighted as an issue as well um during covid-19 um because people are living in cramped accommodation and how can you practice social distancing in that environment? It's not possible. So there's been yeah. a lot around those um, 
So that's where the inequalities, I suppose, have been exacerbated for the most part at the moment. But it's still very early days. We're just two months into it. Um, you know, now, in fairness, the government are trying to address some of those issues and trying to deal with them. They introduced um, a COVID payment um, very quickly so that people who had lost their jobs could access it. And that was unprecedented from um, a, you know, a government perspective. People did get the payment very, very quickly. Um, yeah. And um, you know, whereas normally those kind of processes would take a lot longer to, to go through. Um, so the government has, you know, they have been trying to, to, to do things. And, you know, I don't know if you know at the moment, but we're between elections. You know, we had an election yes. long before this. So we have a caretaker government in place. And so, you know, they have done a very good job, really, overall. I think, you know, um, you know, given the unprecedented um, uncertainty of everything and the unprecedented circumstances. When it comes to getting those emergency payments, uh, are people who are in casual work um, yes. uh, eligible for those as well? Because that's one of the, the yeah. interesting things in, in Australia is that about a million plus casual employees had have no access to any help at all, you know, and certainly uh, anyone with refugee status or anyone on a temporary visa, for instance, doesn't have access to any government help. So... So anybody who's um, in asylum, um, in the direct provision is presupposes that um, people's needs are met. But there is a there is a payment for in for people who are in direct provision. Um, but in relation to the casual workers and um, now I'd have to look it up properly. But as far as I'm aware, most people were able to access um, the, the COVID payment. Yeah. When when it comes to these issues of inequality, I, I'm, I'm interested in how people have been talking about how this situation has sort of laid bare some of the the aspects of injustice in society, I guess, I would say. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. It certainly lays, lays it all out there. Um, and um, Has there been much talk about... Um, ways to reconfigure things coming out of this because you know I had, I had a sense that there are a lot of these issues that people sort of assumed were baked into the very fabric of society and suddenly this is an opportunity to begin to restructure things yeah well um only last week the department of finance um produced a stability program okay for post covid um, and um, when we look at the um, impact on the economy in Ireland, well, you know, it, it, it does make for grim reading. OK, and um, and there is um, still a very high level of uncertainty about it all because nobody really knows how this is going to behave, how long it's going to stay on for, um, you know, what the outcomes are going to be. But what we know is that even in this period, just these last um, two months, that this is going to have unprecedented results and outcomes um, for everyone. But, you know, particularly for anybody who's in the lower echelons of society or who is a lower a low income earner, you know, um, when you see that, you know, employment has increased um, to the level that it has increased. OK. Um, and even 
you know, all the the um, that the government has had to put in place, then government borrowing has to increase. OK, it will have to increase and we'll be heavily in the red. You know, the, there's no two ways about that. Um, so, you know, it's estimated at the moment that we'll have we'll have to borrow about 23 billion euros. And, um, you know, given our history and the economic crisis that we went through and the after the crash in 2008, um, um, you know, we, we've just sort of surfaced out of that. And, yeah. and you know, we had um, a very severe um, recession. Um, you know, it doesn't make um, for very... Um, you know, we're not all very positive about us, you know, it's it, it sort of it makes for a very grim future, um, you know, and there's it's quite an frightening when you put it like that, though, because I, I mean, I I do keep up with the, the news in Ireland and, and over a long period, there has been a sense of just it's not like it's been a period of um, boom or that people have been doing particularly well. It's been a it's been a hard series of years, you know, one after the other. Yeah, it has. And we had a lot of austerity measures and, you know, and the fear is that we're going back into that. And, um, you know, um, yeah, the, like, you know, as I said earlier that at the moment the unemployment went up to about 28 percent. Um, now, at the moment in this new in this new stability program, they estimate that it'll be around 22% at the middle of the year, but that it will fall, it'll go back down to about 14% by the end of the year. Now, that's still way higher than what we had before COVID, um, you know, because we were practically, we were way down. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, it, I suppose it's a scary future for a lot of people, you know, going forward. Um, and and certainly, you know, COVID is going to have a major impact on um, on everyone, you know, and and on society. Um, and, you know, there's there's also a suggestion that, you know, the borrowing not it could even go as high as almost 30 million, you know, 29 million is the. And if that's the case, then, you know, um, we're in trouble for a long time, you know, and we probably will see austerity measures coming back in again. So you said million there. Did you mean did you mean billion? Oh, sorry. I meant billion. Yes, I meant billion. Yeah. Yeah. So how has this been for you personally then? You know, have you just been head head down in work? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so this is. um this is really my first weekend that I'm free and very free um, this weekend. Um, up until now, um, well, up until about last week, we were working, you know, very long days, anything up to 12 hours a day, um, seven days a week um, and to keep on track of everything. And, um, you know, it's it's been very, very busy. But, um, you know you do what you have to do you know and you just get stuck in and you know this is my profession this is my profession this is what I do you know I work in public health 
I I teach my my whole area is go, global public health. Um, and you will laugh at this, but I actually have a module that I was preparing, which is called Pandemics, Epidemics and Outbreaks. So I have loads of material now to put in it. Is it strange to find yourself living through this set of circumstances where your specialism is suddenly front and centre globally in the public sphere? I mean, obviously it preoccupies you every day because that's your chosen area of expertise, but it's... You know, it's not like you're just one field of academic study. You're actually, this is your right in your wheelhouse, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And there's a certain buzz about that. You know, it's certainly it's stimulating and it's interesting. And, you know, we're beginning to look at, you know, what kind of research could we, you know, because there are, there, I mean, there's lots of research that we could you know, start looking at and um, and not least looking at the the impacts, you know, inequalities and health inequalities as a result of this. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, there's a certain um, satisfaction, certainly that comes out of it. And um, did I think I would find myself in the midst of this? Um, no, and certainly not in Ireland. Um, I have been involved in outbreaks before, but not, um, you know, I've worked in, in many African countries. I was involved um, in, you know, very um, significantly in HIV AIDS work. Um, I was also involved in Haiti and with cholera. Um, so, you know, I, I've worked in, in environments where we've I've done contact tracing. I've managed, um, out, you know, looking at outbreaks and, and so forth but not um, in a first world country like Ireland or, you know, so that's, it's different. Um, but it is, it's, it's very satisfying. Um, it's tiring too. It's very intense, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. What do you do for, what do you do for relaxation then this weekend? What are you doing <laughs> apart from talking to me? Well, this, week, <laughs> this weekend I'm going to enjoy the sunshine um, I'm going to get my patio ready for the summer, because um, we won't be—I won't be gallivanting anywhere—and um, and I'm just enjoying life really, and you know, just enjoying the time. And I love cooking, so I—it's nice to potter and to have the time to potter in the kitchen, and not to be just rushing. And um, and I took up art a few about two years ago, so I'll probably get my paintbrushes out, and I don't know mess around with a couple of colors and try and do something so so a last question then would be something that you've already asked answered my last question would i think you've probably already answered it which was i was going to ask you what your experience tells us about what might happen next but we don't really know right i mean i, I mean do you have do you have a broad outline of how you think things will look in a year from now well i suppose the best case scenario is that, um, well, are you talking about Ireland? Or are you talking about worldwide? Either. Okay. So if we're talking about Ireland, I think that the best case scenario is that it remains suppressed, that when we completely lift all the um, the precautions that are in place, that people will continue to um, be cautious and social distance and, you know, washing hands, hand sanitizing, that we will, we definitely are looking at a very different uh, world and way of being um, to what we've had. 
um, before COVID. Um, does that worry? Does that worry you personally? Well, I think we have to just be careful. You know, when I say about you know, for the foreseeable future, we have to be careful about going shopping and, you know, where we're in, in crowds and, you know, because this hasn't gone away. OK, it's it's still um, we have managed to suppress it, but we've managed to suppress it because we put um, certain measures in place. Um, now, lifting those measures, OK, we need to also be careful. OK, so we need to be careful with, you know, hand washing and because we know that, you know, it, it, it's contagious, okay, it stays on surfaces. Um, so we need to, those kind of um, issues. Um, it's not very pleasant living like this. But, you know, if that's what it takes to actually suppress the, um, the virus until we have a vaccine. But even, um, you know, we're, we're still a long way off in having a vaccine. You know, people, best case scenario is that people hope that we might have something by September. But that's, you know, it's not sure that we will have something by September. Um, and until we do have a virus for Corona, then, um, you know, um, we we have to be careful. Or until we are absolutely sure that we no longer have it in the in the environment or in our society. So it bothers me in the sense that it's not very pleasant not being able to go and visit people and not being able to spend time with people. And, you know, um, of course, it's, it's not very pleasant. Um, so, yeah, it bothers me from that point of view. Um, but I'm also very realistic that, you know, if this is what we need to do, then this is what we need to do. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate you taking time out of your weekend. Oh, you're more than welcome. Colette Cunningham is a lecturer in the School of Public Health at University College Cork in Ireland. She spoke to me on Saturday, May the 9th, 2020.